So, here we are in our Advent series. And this year for Advent, we're looking at the prophecy in Isaiah 9, where the coming of Jesus is prophesied and we're told the Lord is our wonderful counselor, our mighty God, our everlasting Father, and our Prince of Peace. And when I was going back and rereading this passage and, and reading the wider context that Isaiah is prophesying into, there was a verse that really stood out to me. And it actually comes a little bit before we get those wonderful names for the Lord. So in verse 4 it says, For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So we're told about this time when the Lord is going to break the rod of the oppressor. But Isaiah says it will be like in the days of Midian's defeat. And I read that and I thought, I know that from something. That's, that's really familiar. What, what is that? Because one thing I know about the Bible is that passages often build on each other. Because it was written uh, to specific people groups and specific situations and places and contexts that the original reader would have heard things making reference to other scriptures, and they would have instantly known, oh, this is what they're talking about. And we can, you know, sometimes miss those moments. So anytime you're reading the Bible and there's something that alludes to another part of the Bible, it should be a big flag for us. We need to pay attention to that, right? So that's what was happening to me. And I thought, right, Midian's defeat, where is that? And it's actually in Judges 7, so in Judges 7, we hear about this guy called Gideon, and we meet him the night before a pretty insurmountable battle. See, he is the, uh, and the Israeli army that he's commanding. They have 32,000 men, but they're going up against 135,000 Midianites. They are wildly outmanned. Not to mention, Midian was this country that pretty much for the last seven years had absolutely destroyed that region of Israel. So there was nothing that would suggest Gideon could win this battle. Nothing. There was everything on paper said that Israel was going to lose and lose badly. But God... See, God had a plan, and it's quite a unique plan. And so we read about it. I'm going to start in verse 2. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. So those 32,000 where you're wildly outmanned, it's, it's too many. You have too many men. I... Where am I? You have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands, or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. Now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left, 
while 10,000 remained. Let's pause. So, if I'm going into battle, I want as many soldiers as possible. I don't know about you, but that's what I want. I want every resource I can get my hands on because I want to know that I can win that battle. I want to go in knowing I can do this. And that's the problem. See, if I can win on my own strength, with my own power, because I have all the the resources and, and manpower I need, if I can do it in my own cleverness and my own strategizing, I don't need a savior. I don't need a deliverer don't need a mighty God. And the Lord knows this. So he says to Gideon, listen, Israel needs to understand that I'm God, that I'm capable, that I'm mighty, that I'm faithful, that I can do this for them. So he trims the army down from 32,000 to 10,000, but then God says, still too big, still too many men. We're going to trim it again. And so Gideon is left with 300 men. 300 versus 135,000. So what was previously insurmountable is now impossible. There's no way but God. And so this is how it plays out. We're skipping down to verse 15. He, this is Gideon, returned to the camp of Israel and called out, Get up! The Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. Dividing the 300 men into three companies, he placed trumpets and empty jars in the hands of all of them with torches inside. Watch me, he told them. Follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. When I and and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp blow yours and shout, for the Lord and for Gideon. Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, just after they had changed the guard. They blew their trumpets and broke the jars that were in their hands. The three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars, grasping the torches in their left hands and holding in their right hands the trumpets they were to blow. They shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. While each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. This is my favorite. When the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. And the story goes on, the Midianites flee, the 300 pursue, that gives courage and confidence to the other Israeli tribes, so they join the fight, the Midianites are put down, and they never rise up against God's people again. Yeah. So 300 men were able to take down one of the biggest foreign nations of the time. And they did this entirely because of God. They did nothing. There there was nothing in the natural that helped them. In fact, that last verse, my favorite verse, the Lord caused the enemy to turn on one another. He did it. Gideon didn't do anything. That has nothing to do with Gideon. All he does is obey. And if you were really listening, 
you might have noticed, the Israelites went into this battle without swords. Did you catch that? They have a torch in their left and a trumpet in their right. You only have two hands. They weren't carrying a sword. So they went into this battle completely reliant on God. They had nothing except the belief that God was mighty and was for them. They had nothing except a torch and a trumpet. Hold on. Pause as I get fixed. You want me to see the handheld? Okay, great. Okay, that's better. So all they had in their hands was a torch and a trumpet. They had the ability to bring light and the ability to praise. That's what they went into battle with. A torch which illuminates darkness, which is the truth. It brings the truth to the dark places. And a trumpet that gives a mighty sound to a God who is worthy of it. That's it. Now, our battles probably don't look like Gideon's. But whatever spiritual battle you're facing, I'm telling you right now, the best weapons you have are that torch to bring light and truth and that trumpet to bring praise. Those are still our best weapons. Because our enemy is the father of lies. He's the accuser of the brethren. It is never a power struggle between Jesus and Satan. Jesus is more powerful. He wins. Yes. So it's not a power struggle. It's a truth struggle. Satan fights with darkness and lies. So he comes in, and he sneaks in with these little doubts, and he challenges our belief systems, and he goes, did God really say that? Who do you think you are? You know what you did last night. You're not a good Christian. You can't do that. You're going to be disappointed anyway. You might as well give up. And he plants these seeds of doubt and lies that challenge everything we believe about God and about ourselves. And so we start responding with, well, yeah, what if I can't trust God? What if, what if I try and I fail? What if I put myself out there and I get hurt? What if, what if I put myself out there and God doesn't come through for me? He doesn't show up the way I think he will. Church, what if sounds a lot like I'm afraid. I'm afraid I'll fail. I'm afraid I'll get hurt. I'm afraid God won't be who I think he is, and he won't show up the way I want him to, the way I need him to. But what's the first thing God does with Gideon's men? He gets rid of all the ones who are trembling with fear. Because the Lord can't take you into the victory he has if you're trembling with fear. He can't do it. And that doesn't mean we need to to grit our teeth and be like, it's fine, I'm brave, I'm brave, I'm brave. No, it means we have to be honest with Jesus. 
And we have to say, I am afraid. I don't know what to do in this situation. I feel really weak and powerless and helpless. Did you know that every baby animal is born with a, an instinctual survival ability? So, for instance, um, fish, they are born with the ability to swim because they need that to survive. A zebra can run within 20 to 60 minutes of being born because it needs to outrun the lions. A gorilla is born with all the strength and dexterity in its hands that it needs so that it can cling to the mama gorilla because she's the one that carries it around protecting it. Every animal has this. What are humans born with? The ability to cry. That's it. That's our great survival instinct that we're born with. The ability to cry. The ability to say, hey, hey, help me, help me. I need help. I need something, and I can't get it on my own. I need you to do it for me. I need someone more strong, more powerful, someone who I can trust, who loves me. It is okay to be weak. It's okay to feel powerless, to not be the strongest person in the room. You were literally born that way. 2 Corinthians says it this way. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. God's strength, his power, is perfected in our weakness. But that means I have to be weak. He is strong. So when I am weak, his strength comes and it comes on me and it comes through me. He does it. I can rely and depend on him when I'm in need because he's the mighty God. Years ago, I was leading this mission trip and it was a mission trip based off of Luke 10, which is when Jesus sends out the disciples and says, don't take anything with you. So there were five or six of us, and we piled into a van, and we didn't take anything with us. We didn't take money or food or even our bank cards. We literally went with nothing. We just went with the belief that God was gonna do something. And so we trusted him for everything. And you know, we, we trusted him for somewhere to sleep at night and, and for food to eat and for petrol money and for every ministry opportunity and connection. And we chose to believe that, you know what, if the van breaks down, it's because somewhere around us, they need the gospel. And oh, we don't have anything to eat today, so okay, we're going to fast and pray. And so we lived this way going across America for a few months. And what we found 
is that as we were completely helpless, as we were powerless and weak and had nothing except our faith in Jesus, crazy things happened. We always had enough. There was supernatural provision. We would be given so much food that, that we'd actually go out and, and share it with the homeless and have meals with them. We, our van would um, stay on E, on, on empty for days and just keep going until someone would give us petrol money. We ended up in these situations and these connections and invited to speak at places where we saw people give their lives to Jesus. We saw physical healings and deliverance. We baptized new believers and we baptized believers in Holy Spirit. And these incredible kingdom things were happening. And it had nothing to do with us. It was only Jesus. And what I learned from that mission trip and what Gideon and Israel learned from this situation is that God is mighty. He is able. He's faithful. He's capable. He is God. And I can be weak with him and I can trust him in that weakness and in that need. Because this great story of Midian's defeat, it doesn't start with Midian fleeing. It doesn't start with God giving this very strange plan to Gideon. It, it doesn't start with him you know, trimming the army down. This defeat starts in Judges 6, a whole chapter before the battle happens. Because in Judges 6, we meet Gideon for the first time. And he's pretty much just a farm boy. And he's actually trying to hide food because this great nation of Midian was coming in and stealing all the crops. So he's trying to, to basically hoard food so that him and his community and his family are safe. And God shows up and he says, Gideon, you're going to save Israel. You're going to defeat the Midianites. And this is Gideon's response. It's brilliant. He says, pardon me, my Lord. Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Gideon goes, listen, you got the wrong guy. I can't do that. I'm the weakest of the weak. I'm the lowest of the low. I can't do that. And God says, it's okay. I got you. And you got me. And I can use weakness. This is what the Lord does. He uses the weak and the lowly. He uses the ordinary and the ones that the world doesn't look twice at. We see it again and again and again. Moses was a man with a stutter and a murder charge against him. And he goes on to speak to Pharaoh and lead his nation out of slavery. 
David was just a little shepherd boy whose own family hated him. And he goes on to be the most beloved and successful king in pretty much all of Israel's history. Jesus takes a little boy's lunch and feeds thousands with it. Mary Magdalene is tormented by seven demons and she becomes the first person to see the resurrected Christ and proclaim the full gospel. He uses our little. He uses our weakness. We give him this little bit of nothing that we have to offer. And there are some of you today, and you feel weak. You feel so helpless and like you have nothing. And you're just doing your best to to hold on and carry on and, and keep everything together. Maybe it's a bad report from the doctor or a relationship that's beyond repair. Maybe your addiction is crushing you or the sin pattern, you're just stuck in it and it's going on and on. You can't seem to break it. Maybe everything seems hopeless. Everything seems insurmountable or impossible. Maybe you feel like you're facing 135,000 foes, but I'm telling you, it is this moment that the Lord can be mighty. That we can trust him with our weakness to come with his strength and power. All we do is surrender. All we do is admit our weakness. Is say, I got nothing, Jesus. I I don't know what to do. I am so weak. So come, Jesus, and be my strength. Be my wisdom. Be my mighty God. And we can trust him to do that.